my fellow Americans, four score and seven podcasts ago, ask not what your podcast can do for you, but what you could do for your podcast. I have not had sexual relations with that woman. Political horror on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am Insane Mike, and I approve this message. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Americans, we shall return to your regularly scheduled program after the state of the podcast address. This is episode 204, and in these troubled times, we thought we'd it would be appropriate to talk about political horror. Political horror, that's kind of an oxymoron nowadays, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's redundant. So, what does it mean when we say that we're going to be talking about political horror? Well... Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast where a group of friends, we get together, we talk about the main thing we all have in common, which is our love for horror movies, and we pick a topic, a.k.a. political horror. And we talk about movies within that topic. So, just so you know, we, we, we're all friends, we talk freely and openly, just as if we're all sitting around, hanging out together, talking about movies. So there's gonna be spoilers. It's gonna happen. Just live with it. Now, if this is your first time listening to the show, you may or may not have discovered us on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. What is the Prescribed Films Podcast Network? Well, it's our podcast network, our very own little podcast network. And the network is home to several like-minded shows covering all sorts of topics. We're talking upon hours, upon hours, upon hours a free podcast entertainment for you and you can check out all the shows on our network at thepfpn.com yeah thepfpn.com hey what have you checked out that new creep so creep show series yet no well what did you think of joe bob briggs christmas special you didn't see it Well, surely you've seen that sweet horror doc, Horror Noir. Don't call you Shirley? Well, what's the deal? Why haven't you seen all these amazing shows? Is it because you don't have Shudder? Shudder, the Netflix of horror? Well, guess what? Shudder just happens to be the sponsor of Attack of the Killer podcast. And you need to get Shudder. Do it now. You can check out all those shows I just mentioned, put several others, original content, classic horror movies, you name it. Sign up for Shudder today, and if you act now, you can get a month of Shudder for free on us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. You get a free month. You get a free month. You get a free month. And you can get that free month by just entering the promo code AOTKP. Repeat it back to me. That's right. The promo code AOTKP. You did such a good job campaigning for Shudder. <laughs> uh, I don't get it. You're just giving out codes like uh, some kind of socialist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so... For mere change every month, you can be a supporter of Attack of the Killer podcast. Or what we call... An attacker. You can be an attacker. 
by becoming a Patreon supporter of the show. All your monies go right into the show and also help support Jason's Coke habit. Go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and check out the various tiers. Cocola is what he meant. <laughs> Doing so. Dang it, I shouldn't have paused. I, yeah. I knew you were waiting. I was going to see how long you are holding your breath till you get a chance to speak. Doing so will gain you access to various perks and extra content, such as bonus episodes, Insane Mike's One Minute Top Ten list, the YouTube series that I star in, me, Insane Mike, um, special videos, and so much more, including a new perk called Killer Critiques. What's Killer Critiques? It's a monthly video where we will... where. An individual member of the show will discuss one particular movie in detail, like cover the history of the film, um, their personal their personal history with the film, uh, all that fun stuff. Deep dives. Yeah, deep dives into a particular title. Half of it's motivated to get you to learn how to spell critiques. It's going to take a while. Um, so, again, you could get all of that amazing content and more, and more to come, too. By uh, going to patreon.com backslash AOTKP and become an attacker today. Now it's time to introduce you to my podcast cabinet. (laughs) They say he's got a really big caucus. Ted, Ted, everybody. I demand a (laughs) re-canvas. He knew that communism was doomed from the start because of all the red flags. Andrew! (laughs) Yes, comrade. (laughs) He's going to be my new Secretary of Defense because all all defenses ain't going to put themselves up. Jason! Oh my gosh. Please vote for me! And welcoming back to the show, he thought Orange was the New Black was a documentary about Donald Trump. Blake! <laughs> That's true, I did. I was very confused the entire time. <laughs> All right, I'm tired of talking. I'm going to turn it over to Tad. Tad? All right, well, let's get into what we watched. It's been a while since we've done this, so I'm expecting this to be sort of long. Um, Hmm. What we do is we go around and we talk about what we've watched since we last recorded a regular episode. And um, that that wasn't part of the the, uh, episode we're doing now. So um, I know I have a lot. I know everybody probably has a lot. Um, So I'm just going to kick it over to Jason. What have you watched? Okay, I got a few things here. Um... Tina and I watched uh, Come to Daddy. It's the new Aunt Timpson movie with our favorite person, Elijah Wood, and Stephen McCaddy. Um, I so, enjoyed the hell out of it. Oh, man. It was awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, after re- receiving a cryptic letter from his estranged father, Norval travels to his dad's oceanfront home for what he hopes will be a positive experience. If he'd only known the dark truth about his old man beforehand. It's pretty great. Yeah, and can't really talk too much about it because yeah. <laughs> uh, there's yeah a lot going on in it. But yeah, what, did you enjoy it as much as I did? I did. 
I thought it was great. It was uh, very compelling. I mean, Elijah Wood, no matter what, even with that haircut, I love, I love everything he does. And Stephen McCaddy is just a presence, you know. And it was just the, it was crazy. And then it just, it just kept getting more and more crazy, and it's hell of a ride. It was great. Yeah, I I listened to or read some interviews uh, about <laughs> this. He was doing press for it and saying like that they went through several ideas for his haircut. It was like a very intentional thing. Yeah. But uh, that was the one that they landed on where they thought it was weird enough for his character, but not so weird that it was unbelievable. Yeah, I think I think Ant Timpson was on uh, the movie Crypt, and that's what got me excited to get and watch it. Uh, then Tina and I also watched The Wave with our pal Justin Long. Love him. Uh, it's crazy. A man on the verge of a promotion takes a mysterious hallucinogenic drug that begins to tear down his reality and expose his life for what it really is. Here's the thing. I'm not really into drug movies as a guy who's never done anything before. It's mostly because I can't relate nor really want to uh, but so I'm always like really hesitant about any drug centric type of movie but I love Justin Long and it was it was it was pretty dang entertaining um I recommend that I heard it's pretty trippy yep mhm but you know I so I can get I can derive pleasure from watching it even just from the cinematography and their editing choices cuz you know that's where a drug movie can have fun and set itself apart from other movies. I uh, finally watched uh, oh, The Dark Phoenix. Finally got to watch that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot that even existed. I know. Everybody just forgot to watch it, I think. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I liked it a lot. Um, I had a... Uh, it's not horror. Never mind. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, we finally watched uh, Don't Fuck With Cats. Goddamn. Mm. I told that was you. awesome. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even seem like it could be real, like everything that goes on in that Oh, day. no. Like, each step of the way, you're like, oh, it really is progressing? Mm-hmm. Holy <laughs> camoly. And then the way they, at the end, made you think that there was going to be more people and things involved, and nope, it was just, it was all him and his, like, desire to recreate this movie and, and you know made it more it was all him and it was really cool we also watched a holy fucking the saddest documentary ever the trials of gabriel fernandez yeah i've heard that's really holy fuck dark. tina loves the uh true hmm. crime stuff and and mama mia it's just painful yep it's, it's done well it's just a heck of a hard watch. Um, those are those are the things I've watched. Excellent. That's pretty quick. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Andy, what have you watched? What uh, rare VHS tapes or laser discs? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, um, n- not a lot. I've been kind of like devoting m- most of my time went to the series uh, Lock and Key, and I haven't finished it yet. But uh, I've read like the whole comic series, so and so far it's 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 staying pretty true. Um, 
been watching like you know watching that, and I watched. Uh, what, uh, I can't remember what year it was released, but of course before he died. <laughs> uh, it's called Odd Thomas, and it stars Anton Yelchin. Oh yeah, that movie's yeah, that movie's, awesome. That movie's good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought it, I thought it was uh, I thought it was okay because I was like I think that's like it's a frighteners is above it. Oh yeah, for me, because it's 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 relatively you know on the same wavelength as as that. But uh, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, another one that I watched and it's it's a comedy, but it's. Oddly enough, it's actually based on uh, a gothic horror, and it's called Big Man on Campus. Have you guys ever heard of this? Does it? it you mean the movie with like Mark Paul Gosselier? No, that's Dead Man on Campus. Oh, damn it! Uh, this is called Big Man <laughs> on Campus, and it's about this hunchback who lives like in a uh, in this bell tower, essentially. So, I mean, it's basically it's a take on. Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And it's actually a 90s comedy. I mean, it's kind of the same ilk of Tammy and the T-Rex, but better done. Uh, what? Your opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, his, he, he, he could barely talk, and then he, you know, he, and then he starts talking, and then it's like, it's, uh, he's, he's, it's just hilarious. He's actually, you know, gunning for this girl who's basically this Esmeralda and Tom Skerritt's in it. Cindy Williams from Laverne and Shirley's in it. Uh, Jessica Harper from the original Suspiria is in it. Cool. And, uh, they, like he says he eventually, he, he never had a name, but, uh, and he's talking to his therapist, and his therapist is played by Tom Skerritt. And he just goes, what do you want your name to be? And he's just like, Bob, Maluka, Luga, 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 Luga. <laughs> and, and Tom Skerritt's just looking at him like really confused. He's just like, why don't I just call you Bob? And he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> why don't you just call me Bob? I don't, you know? This, it's just a, it's it's a weird kind of it's a weird kind of '90s comedy. I, I remember seeing it like when I was like ten years old. But yeah, that would be my scarce one since you since I'm hearing crickets chirping right now because <laughs> talking about yes, Tad, that is my scarce uh, VHS that I've been watching. But uh, other than like you know, kind of like streaming on Netflix. Uh, with the walking key, I haven't had much time to watch anything else other than. Uh, oh, sorry, one more thing. I did watch Color Out of Space with uh, Nicolas Cage, Ooh. and that was really, really good. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. But speaking they, of VHS, did you watch that on VHS? Because they actually made one. No, I. But I would probably buy it. I don't care. Uh. It, has anybody else seen it? I know you te- you've you seen it, haven't you, Ted? Yeah, me and Blake went and saw it in, uh, at Film Scene in Iowa City. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's, it, visually it's like really, really pretty. Um, the, uh, to me, this is what Annihilation should have been. Uh, but, 
Yeah, uh, it's it's there is definitely some rage cage moments, like when he's trying to start the car, which I found hilarious. Um, but yeah, this what happens to this family because of this essentially this meteorite falling is just uh, it's absolutely awful. There's like a vegetable cutting scene that I was cringing because anytime I see anyone chopping vegetables, I know that what's going to turn out is not going to be good. I don't care yep. what, what kind of movie it is. Anybody chopping anything with a knife in the kitchen, it's not going to end well for them. Well, I've watched the movie Chef by Jean Favreau, and there's no bad scenes of knives, and <laughs> there's a lot of cutting. Anyways. Well, it should have ended bad. <laughs> I would have wrote it that way. I would have cut off Jon Favreau's hand. <laughs> Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, what, uh, <laughs> is that the end of everything you've watched? This is going quicker than anticipated, so I'm guessing Mike has like 35. Mike, what did you watch? <laughs> oh, mine's going to be the quickest. I haven't watched shit. Um, uh, went and saw the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. That's about it. I saw that, too. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was pretty, pretty good. It went by pretty quick, right? Our, our, <laughs> our horror enough. leader. <laughs> <clears throat> well, um, I'm going to go, and I know Blake is next, but I'm going to go because I'm itching because I got a lot of stuff. But um, I saw Gretel and Hansel. I love that. I uh, thought that was great. Um, oh, yeah, that's well, the new... Um, um, Oz Perkins. Yeah, Oz Perkins movie. I don't think Blake liked it quite as much as I did. You saw it with me, right, Blake? I, uh, I I appreciated what it was doing. I think I was half awake because literally I was asleep 10 minutes prior before driving to that theater. And then I was settling in and my phone went off and I'm sitting there trying to collect myself. And your wife's getting mad at me and I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> it, it was gorgeous, though. Like the, It was the, beautiful. Yeah, the way it was shot, the art direction, the set, every like, oh, man. It just it was gorgeously shot and well acted. I I definitely recommend checking it out when it hits digital in like a month, which it probably will. Um, I saw a, mo- a new movie called Sea Fever by uh, the production company Gunpowder and Sky, who did like Summer of '84 and um, oh cool and um, Lords of Chaos. Uh, they have this new one, and it's very much like. It sort of reminded me of Alien, or I don't even know. Basically, this group, this group of scientists on a boat or on a ship, and um, this virus takes over the boat. Very um, relevant right now. Uh-huh. And yeah. this this sort of virus makes slowly takes them over and makes their eyes explode out of their head. And so they're doing everything they can not to let it continue to spread and kill everybody on the boat. And there's some disagreement, like. Most of the crew wants to go back to shore, and one scientist is like, we can't do that because we would be um, risking spreading this to everybody, so we have we have a obligation to basically die out here. Um, but I won't ruin what happens. It's very good. I highly recommend it. Um, What's that called again? Sea uh, Fever. Sea Fever. Yeah, it's a nice little indie movie. I think it's coming out limited release in theater soon and then uh, VOD I saw the new um, Into the Dark on Hulu called My Valentine that was really sort of interesting um, 
it was good. I just didn't. I, I think out of all the ones I've seen, this one was like the least horrific as far as a horror movie, more of a um, drama than anything because the idea is this pop star um, comes out of comes back from a hiatus and she's like a electronic music artist, uh, pop singer with pink hair and like a pixie type girl. These fans show up at the concert and they're basically protesting it because there's another new artist that looks exactly like her, sounds exactly like her. And we find out that basically her ex-boyfriend who was her manager basically like when they broke up tried to bury her and create a new version of her with another girl basically like i don't even know how to explain it but he he took a he just took another girl and took every, all the songs and everything and made a new version of her so there's two versions of this girl out there and uh it gets really dark really quick when he shows up at the concert and you know brings a box cutter and uh huh. mm shit gets dark and it's it's not so much like i said a uh, uh, straight up horror as it is like a relationship drama and it's but it has some blood and guts and some horrific scenes but uh i don't know i, I can't necessarily I, I liked it but i wouldn't necessarily say uh everybody on the podcast would probably enjoy it so i won't say check it out um i saw sonic the hedgehog enjoyed it i saw um come to daddy enjoyed it I saw a lot, but I'm I'm trying to skim through of, of what's almost uh, relevant to this. My one of I saw that I absolutely loved was VFW. Has anybody seen that yet? Oh, mm-hmm. I wanted to. Yeah, same director as Bliss. I'm trying to I'm drawing a blank on his name, but um, this movie's badass, and I think you guys will fucking love it. Uh, the premise is pretty simple: a bunch of old gritty veterans played by old gritty character actors. Are, uh, they all serve together in Vietnam. They're hanging out at the VFW, having some drinks on on one of their birthdays. It's a hole in the wall, you know, shit shitty bar. Right across the street is where the junkies hang out. Um, girl steals all the junkies' drugs and takes takes them and runs. And the uh, king of the junkies basically puts a call on her head and says, you know, if you get her back here, dead or alive, you can have all the drugs. So this movie turns into like a video game slash um, assault on Precinct 13 with a bunch of grizzled, mm. grizzled old men uh, holding down shit at the VFW. And it's like a bunch of like methed out zombies trying to break into the VFW and they're all they've all been through war. So they're just badass <clears throat> and aren't putting up with it. And it is gory as shit and violent as shit. And you get to see a bunch of old dudes wreck shit it's awesome <laughs> you guys will love it it has george it has so many characters i won't even i can't even go through the list of characters like the actors that are in this but man so good um sold I, yeah highly recommend it um saw invisible man on thursday holy shit that one is really 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 good uh highly recommend that i think blumhouse should be given the keys to the universal monsters right now um, just blown away by it. I won't go too much detail. You know this basic story, but this is sort of a new take on it, where uh, he's sort of an abusive, controlling boyfriend, and he obviously has some tech to make him invisible and uses that to his advantage. But it's really fantastic. Um, 
check it out. And then my last one I saw last night was Guns Akimbo. Oh, yeah. With Daniel Radcliffe and Samara Weaving. Oh. The basic premise of this is it's in like a future, sort of apocalyptic future, where this internet group kidnaps people and puts them up against each other um, in these ridiculous scenarios where they have to, one has to kill the other or they both die and they stream it live on the internet for people to watch and Daniel Radcliffe plays like a lackey stoner dude um, who just got over a breakup who is an online troll and he trolls the wrong guy and they show up at his door and they he wakes up and they've bolted two guns to his hands and he, so he can't use his hands. They're actually bolted to the trigger of these two handguns. And he's told he has to kill Samara Weaving's character, who's basically the badass assassin uh, final boss in a video game that nobody's ever able to kill. So she's chasing him all over the city. And he's in a bathrobe and slippers with two guns strapped to his hands. And it's badass. It's a lot of fun. It's ridiculous. But highly recommend it. I don't know. Has anyone even seen that or the trailers or anything about that? Oh yeah, I've seen where, the trailer. It looks balls crazy. Where did you Where did you uh, see it, Tad? It's uh, you can see it online now. You can like rent it. It's okay. on VOD. Yeah, I, I think it hit limited indie theaters, but not many because the director's under some fire. There was a brief second where it looked like it wasn't going to get released because he said some questionable things against some women on Twitter right before the release and got himself in some hot water, but uh, they decided to put it out anyway. So yeah, Blake, what did, what have you watched recently? Uh, recently, uh, shoot. Uh, let's see. Other than Sonic, I haven't really been able to watch anything or I haven't been to the movies that much. I, I did see that beach bum with Matthew McConaughey with you at your house from, it was on Amazon, yeah. I believe. Um, but just a brief rundown, uh, basically, uh, Matthew McConaughey is a stoner poet, and he's in the Florida Keys and tries to finish his novel and tries to gain respect of his daughter. And then uh, he also needs to get his wife's inheritance by finishing the novel. But it's a, a great movie with like uh, Jonah Hill's in it, Zac Efron's in it, just Martin Lawrence is in it, which is his character is hilarious. Um, it's got a lot of great fun moments. It's not horror related, but it's still a great movie. Um, and I'm a little behind because I haven't been on the podcast for a while, but I saw Underwater, which I'm sure you guys have talked about previously, um, with, um, what's her name in it? <laughs> Kristen Stewart. Kristen yeah. Stewart. Uh, and uh, that was a great movie. I really enjoyed that, and that was really fun. Um, I see. I was at work, and I watched that four-hour and 23-minute documentary in Search of Darkness, um, it's that 80s horror movie perspective of just the different impact it has. Um, it's not, you know, the reviews weren't the greatest for it, but it did kill four hours of my shift working overnight. So it was a solid movie I enjoyed with solid movies, I guess, or whatever. But um, gosh, it's, I don't know. Like, I've got tons of movies I'm behind in watching. And I, other than the movies I watched or rewatched to get ready for tonight, I haven't really seen much more than that. I, I, if you can remember anything, Tad, tell me, because I, I can't think of anything else that I've watched recently. 
Yeah, I mean, other than what I mentioned that we saw together, no, I yeah. don't know. I'm, I haven't really, yeah, I've been watching a lot of TV shows lately, so. Yeah, one I forgot to mention that's not a movie, but it is a show uh, new on Netflix is uh, I Am Not Okay With This. Has anyone watched it yet? No. Uh-uh. No. That's it has Sof- Sophia Lillis from um, It Chapter 2 and, and It. She you know plays the, gr- the young girl, and she's also uh, in Gretel and Hansel. And uh, basic, pr- I think it's based on a comic book or graphic novel, but I have no um, knowledge of it prior. But it is horror-related because basically this, this girl's it's a coming of age story, very uh, John Hughes like. It's getting comparisons to John Hughes' story, but um, she's she's sort of the loner at school weirdo and going through some shit, discovering a lot about herself. But um, she also discovers that she has this sort of superpower where she, when she gets really pissed off, she can focus her energy on things and either blow shit up or make people's nosebleeds or um, throw things with her mind like telekinetic powers and uh, sometimes it works out in great ways and sometimes it works against her and it's it, but it's very it has a lot of comedy in it but a lot also a lot of horror there's some mist a lot of mystery to it but uh, it's it's a really quick watch it's uh, like 30 minute episodes and there's only seven episodes so it's a quick watch it's from the creator of End of the Fucking World, which is my favorite Netflix series. So, uh, check it out. Fine. I think that's what everybody's watched, then. That's everybody. Cool. Awesome. Great. So, let's get into the topic at hand, political horror. We got some, um, um, maybe a little too obvious of, of movies in this topic. Usually with horror films, everybody talks about you know the uh, the social commentary of such and such horror film, but uh, we're just going to be blatant with the movies that we picked, and not even there's not even any hidden subtext in any of these. So, Jason, what's our first movie we're going to talk about tonight? The first movie we're going to talk <clears throat> about is from 1983, directed by David Cronenberg. It's The Dead Zone. If the future were in your hands. The daughter's screaming. The house is burning. Would you change it? Hurry up! Hurry up! It's not too late. Touch this man's hand, and you are in the grip of the dead zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. Johnny Lake. With a power that alters the future lives of those you love. You want to kill your own son? I want you out of here. I'm scared, Dad. Or of those you fear. I have had a vision that I am going to be president of the United States someday. And nobody... I mean nobody! Gonna stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me? You're a devil. Son of a man. Who are you? Who sent you? I'm scared, sir. What's happening to me? We're gonna get married, Johnny. Don't leave me, please. Didn't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, I can change it. Galford! 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 I was there, I saw it. Put your hand on the scanning screen and you'll go down in history with me. I saw his face. 
I stood there. I did nothing. Stephen King, The Dead Zone. When Johnny Smith, played by Christopher Walken, awakens from a coma caused by a car accident, he finds that years have passed and he now has psychic abilities. Heartbroken that his girlfriend, played by Brooke Adams, has moved on with her life, Johnny must also contend with his unsettling powers, which allow him to see a person's future with a mere touch. After shaking the hand of aspiring politician Greg Stilson, played by Martin Sheen, Johnny sees the danger presented by the candidate's rise and resolves to kill him. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah, that's the dead zone. Okay, next movie. Up next, we got... (laughs) Just kidding. This is my first time watching this movie, and I fucking loved it. Oh. I loved it. I would say it's... Cronenberg's second best film. Oh, is that That's your controversial bold your bold statement? He started oh. before the show, me and him are talking, and he's like, Yeah, I got a bold statement. For we never talk but unless we're on the show. Don't lie to the people. <laughs> wow, second best. I huh? think so. First is the fly still, right? Oh. Yeah. Third best. What's number what's the no, other you're one? Right. What's the other one you were thinking of? No, I forgot. I like this movie a lot. No. Brood. No. Damn it. Shivers. No. (laughs) Rabbit. No. The Fly? It's The Fly. All right. Anyway, what were you saying about Dead Zone? I loved it. Okay. (laughs) I thought it was great. (laughs) Yeah. How many of you guys have watched this before? Because I haven't. It was a first time watch for me. First for me. Yeah, first. Yeah. I was... I swear I've seen it before, but also, I also was telling Jason before we started recording, I could have sworn the whole political aspect of this film was a much bigger part and not the last 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Well, I, well, I had never seen it, so I started watching it, and that's when I messaged you guys. I'm like, is it the one Christopher Walken? Because, uh... <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm watching the same, the right thing. And then when it hit, I was like, oh, I got it. Okay. And it, it, it is political. I mean, it's just about as political as Taxi Driver, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah that's a good comparison, too. And that's that line of like, you know, is he just crazy like Taxi Driver? Or is, right. is he truly like psychic or whatever? I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it, too, the, the tone of it. And uh, just the old style Stephen King stuff is so cool. Yep, yeah, the early '80s King. Yeah, yeah. But like the, fa- the fact ahead. that it opened with uh, him of uh, Christopher Walken, you know, reading the Raven. Yeah, you know, as I nodded, feeling <laughs> that, feeling napping. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> as someone gently rapping. That's like Jesus. <laughs> I, I I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of cool that he brought up Sleepy Hollow, and he becomes a headless horseman in the <laughs> yeah, future. Yeah, also true. And then you know he tries to stop good old Marty Sheen from becoming the president, but he still becomes the president in West Wing. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I was just sitting there watching it, thinking of all these things, and I'm like, 
And then I'm like, Christopher Walken was barely walking in that movie. He was mostly limping. Like that was <laughs> what he did through that whole movie. And I, I don't know if it was like, um, that wasn't made for TV, right? Because it didn't have a four by three aspect. So it just nah. made me feel like the original Stephen King's It, like that type of budget in a weird way. Like I thought like him with his horrible haircut at the beginning was I you know and it makes you really do you, you look at Christopher Walken really different when you see him in these older movies mm-hmm. and he has more of a clearer voice and now he's doing an impression of himself yeah <laughs> it's not even his voice anymore it's just hilarious yeah it is sort of weird to see him in like a leading serious role where it's like he's not oh like we're is before he is self-aware like where it's almost like Nick Cage now too you know what I mean where he's getting certain roles for a reason, but, um, I don't know. I still even watching it and him just being a hundred percent playing it serious, uh, little things I'm watching the movie and I'm like, God damn, I cannot get, I cannot think of, uh, it's just watching it. All I'm, all I'm hearing is Tommy, um, Wiseau from the room. <laughs> like I, I kept hearing that in his accent, like his voice just a little bit off and, obviously much better actor but um it's like man i hope the room didn't like ruin the dead zone for me or christopher walken in general <laughs> i've got a bad haircut he's a great actor i noticed that um he also didn't you know bust out a dance move in this because normally in like in every movie that you ever see walking in like maybe a little bit after this because, you know, he used to be a dancer, like, on Broadway, and he always does, like, a dance move. He does, like, you know, and, and he tries to incorporate one dance move in, like, every movie that he's in. Also, another thing that's sort of King-esque, uh, we saw a Volkswagen in this movie, a Volkswagen bug. And I think uh, there, it's the, there's The Shining, and then there's a couple of other ones as well. Well, they bring up Castle Rock, too, which is really cool. Like, there was just yeah. a lot of cool things jumping out. Also, that looked like there's a Castle Rock in New Hampshire because Tom Skerritt's uh, patch on his jacket literally said Castle County, New Hampshire. So they weren't even actually <laughs> in Maine. Oh, interesting. They're just, liars. <laughs> I just couldn't even get... I couldn't get past Tom Skerritt's mustache, so... Oh. What? It's a sweet mustache. Mm-hmm. I, kn- I know it's um, going to be said for like every movie tonight, but it's it's just so like weird how all three movies we watch tonight, I mean, especially two that are considerably older, and they're just probably more relevant now than they ever yeah. were when they were made. But Jesus Christ, like watching the end of that movie, it's like, uh, can someone go ahead and save us? Like, yeah. we, need a, we need a Christopher Walken right now. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the gimmick, uh, I mean, you didn't even see it, and it still paid off. The gimmick with the scissors before he, you know, oh, kind of... yeah. Ugh, good Lord. He's, and they walk in on him, and he's still convulsing, too. That was uh, awesome. They walk in on him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, they, li- they, li- they, they limp. <laughs> Christopher Limpkin. <laughs> I like, and this is probably the Cronenberg part of the movie, because it's not very Cronenberg-esque of what we know of Cronenberg. You know? He's a lot more of a visceral... Yeah, it's not so much a body horror. Yeah, yeah, but if you you watch Christopher Walken through this movie, he's going through this big physical transformation throughout the whole thing. 
if you compare what he looks like at the end of the film compared to what he looks like at the beginning of the film, and I'm not just talking about the crazy haircut that you know keeps changing the 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 mo from the Three Stooges bangs that he's got at the beginning of the movie, and then the the big uh, almost afro he's got at the end of the movie. He's like Mo with he's Mo from Three Stooges. But in the beginning, he's he's like you know kind of nerdier. He's got glasses and stuff, and at the end, he's got that long black trench coat with the collar flipped, and you know. And I I don't think it's by coincidence that it's Christopher Walken casted in the part with the fact that he can physically look creepier. Um. So yeah, I I I found that interesting. That to me was kind of the Cronenberg part aspect of the movie cuz uh, you know I'm I'm kind of I'm watching him kind of like why have, why did Cron- why did David Cronenberg work on this movie why did he direct this one this this does not seem within his wheelhouse but but there's still I think some uh that in the whole obviously shot in Canada aspect of it it's definitely Cronenberg yeah I was talking to a friend over brunch yesterday about this movie and uh he said that he, he had seen it before and was was very familiar and said that um when Cronenberg was filming it he didn't like how Walken was portraying like when he would touch somebody and get those premonitions of the future he didn't like how he was playing that like the how, how he would um act that out yeah so what he he did without telling Walken was he had somebody with like the first time they did it he had somebody off in the distance with a shotgun and when he would touch the guy's hand he shot the shotgun. Oh, nice! And, and shot like it made him jump. And then uh, the next time he did like an air horn or every time he had like something that <laughs> would make him jump. Good lord! Yeah, and so he was just on fucking edge when he would get to touch somebody. So not only the reaction of when he did touch somebody, but the anticipation because he knew it was coming. And he didn't know what it, what the next thing would be, but you know it, it would make him like sort of super tense, reaching out to touch somebody, like he would be, and that, like that character would be. So I thought that was really interesting. That's effective, man. Yeah, I I will much. say one of one of my favorite scenes is when you know he is the first time he does that, and he's trying to say you know he's seeing that girl in the fire and he's in the bed and the blankets are on fire and he's looking, you know, it's just like, and he's telling the girl that, that he's that, you know, to get down and cover, you know, cover up and everything. Yeah. I thought that scene was pretty damn cool the way they did that, you know? Yeah. I thought the, the, you know, scene of that scene and the scene where he sees the, the killer and mm-hmm. like, the, the premonitions of, or the kids falling through the ice like that shit was so oh, yeah. freaky yeah and it's yeah. so out of the blue and it's just like yeah and that world war ii footage and stuff like that oh yeah and when he shows up at the uh the dad's house to tell him not to let the kid go play ice hockey and he has this cane and he whips that little side table hits a glass off of it like very angry Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> About as angry as he gets. And then, like, maybe a minute and a half later, he's like, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> we can all agree, though, that that uh, fake Newsweek cover at the end of the movie looked like shit, right? 
Oh yeah, that was some, that was some bad. I don't want to say Photoshop because there was no yeah, Photoshop back then, but that. whatever that process was back in the early '80s, it looked bad. Blurry ass picture. But yeah, good movie. Yeah, and the tech, the technology of like the president being able to put his handprint down and like end the world basically, like. Oh it's yeah. But you can appreciate like you know it's sort of nostalgic like this is what at the time like people thought that the president could do yeah i i think uh you know snake Pliskin's cassette tape is a little bit more believable than that so. <laughs> uh, but yeah i thought it was cool it's, it's, it's just cool to see uh walking like i said in the lead role i just we don't have enough walking in our lives right now so that's true uh, this this movie to me is like a cozy like little comfort food you know like something to watch when you're like snowed in or something you know just kind of that's i think that pretty much with like all like early 80s uh stephen king based movies for for me it's definitely something that um i would throw in in october like in the middle of the night knowing I, i'll probably fall asleep watching it but it's it's something to throw on or uh, you'd flip on like AMC Monster Fest at you know one a.m. in October, and it's and it's playing, and you would stop and watch from wherever it's at in the movie. You know, yeah, you can pick up on what the what's going on. You know, right. even if you stumble like in a little late as well. So, but you definitely like when he he does a great job playing like sad when he sort of wakes up and realizes that his girl had moved on mm. and that moment when he sees her for the first time and realizes that, you know, she's married and, uh, it's, it's like he plays pretty good, like heartbreaker, you know, it's like pulls at you a little bit. You feel for him. Felt bad for yeah. that little kid. He was smothering as he was holding him crying. I'm like, dude, kid, get out of that situation. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's just supposed to tutor you. Like this is way too deep. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. I kind of thought those scenes with the kid was a little, yeah. Nowadays would be, and that was my first thought too. Is like, would you just randomly drop your kid off nowadays with some stranger for tutoring at the guy's well, house? Well, that's 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 just a thing. I think the reason maybe why they did that is because the kid is the only person that he has in the world aside from his father that doesn't want something from him. Yeah. You know, it's just like, okay, where's where's this? Where's that? You know, uh, you need to help me because you have this gift. But all all the kid wants is his company because, well, the guy, the kid's father is a turd and he doesn't want to be around him. Right. And so he kind of makes a connection with this kid, you know. So, I mean, I, I kind of see it a little bit both ways. I mean, he's the only thing in this world that provides him comfort because his girl's <laughs> long gone. His yeah. mother died, you know, and his dad, you know lives in a different town so yeah and he gives that big old speech to the doctor when the doctor comes over about how he has to be isolated or whatever yeah has anybody seen the um tv show the tv series with anthony michael hall i have no. not no me neither i kind of want to check it out though yeah now that i've seen this i'm sort of curious yeah yeah can I see where they the go new, with it? The new Tommy Doyle, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Gary from uh, Weird Science. Yeah. <laughs> maybe right. I was maybe I was spacing out, but 
did we the the part that bothered me the most with this movie? Not that it's a big deal, but like when the powers were like he touched other people's hands at other times, but didn't always see like yeah yeah I don't know it on yeah so it'd always be like oh what's it oh you're just shaking hands yeah I don't know how the powers they never really get into how the powers work if he has to like if he makes it happen or it randomly happens or what but if it's randomly it. It randomly yeah. happens at the most convenient moments in this movie. No, yeah. He could have just been wearing gloves the whole time and it took them off only to touch people's hands. That could have solved I, our problems real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I thought so at first, and then but then they'd pull out and you'd see his bare hand. I'd be like, well, I think it has to be that he's he choosing control to it. Yeah. control it. I think it might be when imminent death might be involved. Right, that's what I was That's said person. I think that's why they call it the dead zone. But with something like, oh, oh yeah, there's just too much he like shook a lot of hands in this movie that didn't happen too like it was i don't know yeah i just i assume he touched like a lot Andy, of people I, he just uh if you shook your hand and you didn't see something like you were okay and for the like foreseeable future you know like for at least a little bit your you did your life was not on the line in the near future well wait when when they're having that press conference when he's still in the hospital and and he touches that one reporter that's being an asshole. Oh, uh, what was the revel- what was the revelation there? I don't remember. I don't think it had anything to do with it's death. It was just su- the sister's suicide. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so but they didn't go so. any further with it though. Yeah, I I couldn't remember. All right, I guess okay. death in general. I I don't know. Sure. Well, cool. That's cool. The, the dead zone. Good flick. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I enjoyed- I enjoyed it. Yeah, good King flick, good Cronenberg flick. I don't think I put it quite as high as Jason does, but good. it's good. Okay, so, Tad, what's up next? Our next movie might be the most on-the-nose title of today's episode, <laughs> but it is The Purge Election Year. This July, have your voice be heard. I purged. I purged. Show your support. I purged because it's my civic duty. For the purge. I purge because staying in is un-American. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge. The soul of our country is at stake. The Senate is going to win. She's going to make real changes. The purge has to come to an end. At the siren, all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 hours. Senator, let's begin lockdown. All emergency services will be suspended. Your government thanks you for your participation. We're going to use this year's purge to do something about that senator we're being hunted go 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 we are on our own my god how did it get to this what you doing outside on purge night senator come with us there are threats everywhere there's death everywhere. No! Y'all need to see this. 
We have one goal, survival. purged to keep my country great. This movie was directed by James DeMonico, who had done all the previous Purge movies. Um, this one might be my favorite. I'm I not was, sure. I was going to say that too. I think so too. Yeah. But uh, the premise, I'll just read from IMDb and then get into the actual story, but former President Sergeant Barnes becomes head of security for Senator Charlie Roan, a presidential candidate targeted for death on purge night due to her vow to eliminate the purge. Now this one, I mean, you're watching this and fear into politics at all. It's like, clearly she is Bernie Sanders and <laughs> the other president is Donald Trump. And, She's trying to end the purge, and she's for the people, and, you know, uh, try not to mix too many of my own politics into this, but it seems like the writers <laughs> right. clearly were trying to do a little of that. Or you could say, you know, just very um, liberal left politician against a very right-wing conservative one, and, um, yeah, so, you know, we have the female candidate going out there and mingling with the people and she wants to end the purge doesn't think it's it's a good thing and the conservatives want to keep it and they're saying you know it's the only thing keeping this country going and it's very interesting we sort of follow some of these interesting characters Bubba from uh, Forrest Gump is in this one <laughs> he owns his own uh, little convenience store that's cool I, the first time I saw it, I did not realize that was Bubba. Yeah, he just kind of blew my mind right now, to be honest yeah. with you. I did not know that was him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you see his struggle trying to... He wants to protect his convenience store from getting purged because the insurance companies can can take away your purge insurance or, or rise up the rate so quickly that you can't afford it. Um What's the interesting twist in the movie is, you know, there's a traitor within the presidential candidates um, army or protectors or uh, security, and they're coming to kill her basically so that they can win the next election. And then there's another twist when she ends up at the uh, sort of. I, what would you even call that group that was underground? The uh, like mercenaries? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Sort of like yeah. a resistance. Revolutionaries. Yeah, exactly. And we realize that they're actually trying to kill the other presidential candidate, but she does not want that because she wants to win it fair and square. And uh, it's sort of actually going back to the dead zone reminds me, you know, of that because walking, you know, you think he's going to shoot the president, but in turn he holds up a baby and shields himself using a child, right? And 
sort of happens here where, you know, the, they don't necessarily, not even the act of the killing is, is, or the, uh, killing the the other candidate it's more so of exposing him for what he does which is you know they gather up poor people and kill them for their own pleasure and there's some badass moments like the the priest who has the shotgun that's pretty rad mm-hmm. um but man this one like i said i'm watching it and i remember i've saw this one in theaters i've seen it several times since mm. and I absolutely love this one. I think this one and um, maybe the second one. I don't remember which one that or uh, Anarchy or I don't remember what it's called. But um, I really enjoy this one and the second one. And Frank Grillo's badass in it. Uh, you know, being the head security guy trying to keep uh, Senator Charlie Roan alive during this one. Leo. He's he's uh, shooting out the. Uh, drones that are chasing them and he's just an all-over badass classic mm-hmm. Rillo. yeah i really like him and i like him in the series so yeah me too this is my favorite film of the series <laughs> by by far yeah uh i i i wanted to do a backflip when uh the uh the girl gets ran over by the uh <laughs> Oh, yeah. I hated that girl. I hated yeah. those yeah. those that girls so much. Sh- I wanted to freaking cheer when that shotgun blast hit her fucking face, dude. I I don't care how demented that sounds. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely uh, they. But the thing is, you're supposed to hate her, and you're supposed to. You know, I mean that that just paid off in spades. The whole the whole setup of her just being this royal pain in the ass bitch. To the moment she went down, really, really well done, in my opinion. I'm glad she never got that candy bar. She didn't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> no. I see. I would have wrote. I would have dropped a candy bar and what was left of her skull. That's that's how I would have wrote it. Um. Uh, yeah. Not to be. Not. Re- I really. I really like this one. Uh, it's. It shows you. Uh, it's. It's really all about class struggle, uh, the, 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 the real tug of war that's pretty much going on right now anyway, and has always gone on. Uh, I thought the, the addition to, uh, what, what did they call them, uh, murder tourists. <laughs> and like you've got like them all dressed up like Abraham Lincoln and uh, the Statue of Liberty, and they've all got accents. So I was just like, Ew. Oh yeah, that was cool, and showed yeah, showed them coming into the country, yeah. and the airport and stuff. I loved it. We are here to kill people. I just <laughs> I, I adore that. After watching the first movie, had so much potential, and it did not pay off. They kept it basically in one one household, and I thought, wow, what a huge waste. And the fact that they turned it around and made such an awesome franchise out of it, I'm so happy with. Like you can do this forever. I mean, I wasn't really pleased with the first Purge, per se. I was kind of disappointed but with, with that one. But, like, you said Anarchy and Election Year are, are, are really good, particularly the one we watched. Well, the second one, it, you know, I, I it's hard to pick between the second one and this one just because the fact that the second one almost plays out like you're playing a video game. And you have these random bosses 
that come up on you as you're trying to survive the night. Like that guy with that uh, that truck. Was it an ice cream truck or whatever it was? Like yeah, stuff, the, like, stuff like that really just like, blew my mind. Yeah, the characters in the second one are more fun, where they they got more creative with the masks and like the, the way people dress up and the way they kill people, and it just sort of explored that more so than the political side. And I think we've talked about some of the other ones on here, even with like Brian and you know, and we've talked about how it just sort of I guess is a personal taste. Some people don't like politics in their movies at all, so they prefer, you know, the first or second one where it's a little less political, more about the just a crazy night. And this you know this one and the first purge definitely dig more into the politics. Mm. I guess you could say there's a purge for everyone almost. I mean, I, yeah. I, I definitely yeah. like the, 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 what is it, the prequel purge that was after this one um, definitely is about, you know, getting rid of the poor and that kind of stuff and um, diving into all that. I, I watched the first season of the TV show and I thought that was really good and I haven't watched the second season yet. Yeah, same I here. I saw the first and the seconds on my uh, DVR, but I haven't watched it. Yeah. Do you watch it, didn't you, Jason? No. Someone, I thought someone watched the second uh, season of it. I started like I got two episodes in, and I'm like, um, I'm like I'm just I don't know I, I I wasn't as involved. Like I think it happens like the day after the purge or something. Right. Is that it's, what I understand? It, I'm it like, so what's the point? Like what? <laughs> well, <laughs> I I, I do find that interesting. Like because we never see the True. repercussions or what happens after because even though you legally aren't facing any trouble for murdering people you still have to face the social no, the social aspect of it you know what i mean like the there's stigma. still going to be yeah there's still going to be backlash and still going to be consequences to your actions you're just not going to be in prison I think yeah. there's a new movie coming out this summer, hopefully, or something like that. So oh, I'm, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, good. In, in, yeah. In, in, the, in the works, yeah. Oh, Dude. good. That makes me Keep happy. I was, yeah, exactly. I, I couldn't agree I more. I think it's the, they're, they're touting it as the final of the film series, at least. Oh, really? I feel yeah. like... Well, we'll I'm sorry, but I, was, I think that... Uh, I have to say this. I think I got way too much gratification of seeing a... They actually went to the trouble to setting up a guillotine in this movie. Yeah. In the middle of an alley. And then they had, like, the old school uh, pendulum. <laughs> and we're like people were like, oh, can you get a bacon? Are you going to make it? And they were, just, they were just, like, so nonchalant about it. You know, it was just like, ah, oh, better luck next time. You know, <laughs> they were just... It was like nothing to them. You well, know? I'm watching those moments, and I'm thinking to myself... What is those guys' lives like during the last couple hours of the purge? <laughs> because you know they got to tear all that down and get. Because you know if they kill somebody the day after with those mechanisms, then they're going to go to jail. So they got to get rid of all that by the time the purge is over. Um, yeah, I love this franchise. I've loved it since the first one, and I and I still remember saying leaving that theaters that this concept is brilliant. And they can make an entire film franchise out of it, and each movie be different. And I and um, couldn't have said it better myself. Of like, there's there's a purge, there's a purge for everybody. You know, there's you know each one of these films has different aspects to it. And yes, this one does get really political, but at the same time, it is so full of like violent eye candy. Like this movie is like violent. It's hardcore. It's awesome. And so, and like just all the, with the cool masks and the car covered in Christmas tree lights and, 
you know, just a lot of cool visuals that you could still get lost in this and not have to worry about the political side of it. Um, this is, this, I think this one might be my favorite too, or either that I'm just on a super high after getting to watch it again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. And like, you know, there's the question if these films are really horror films or not, but I think there's a lot of elements that are horrific in these movies. Um, just the idea of in this movie where they're just running down these like empty streets where you just don't know what's going to be around each corner is utterly terrifying. And, you know, the, all the masks are just super creepy. You know, why else would they be wearing these elaborate masks if it wasn't for the fact that they're trying to tap into a horror aspect in this in this film franchise? Um but I was watching it with 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 my girlfriend Brandy and and um, you know she's like this isn't horror and and I'm like that scene and it was right before that scene where they they run back out into the street and there's a lady lady singing to herself on the bench with a body being burned being burned to a crisp at, at her feet and I'm like you tell me you wouldn't go outside and you saw that you wouldn't be shitting your pants that was well, oh, yeah, the creepiest yeah. hell it's- scene. It's one of those things where it's, you know, it's not, yeah, you've got people that are trying to kill you and stuff like that or whatever, and it's not your basic horror movie or whatever you want to identify as a horror movie, but it's the uh, the real monsters within, you know, like who we are as humans and what we can do. And, right. you know, especially yeah. with the government and the power, what they can do. And that's the scariest thing of all, because that, that could happen easily, that could happen. And it's... People are capable of crazy things, but I was going to say quickly that I think if they were smart, if they were done doing these movies, they need to somehow do a purge video game like Grand Theft Auto or something like Mm, that where you have the entire city and you have a great story happening at the same time and you could go around and, you know, purge as much as you want or whatever you need to do or you can, you know, whatever. But can you imagine that? Like what they could do with that? You have the whole city to work with? Like, wow. Yeah. I am shocked that they haven't done something like that yet. Yeah. yeah. Rockstar Games are pretty much saying, hey, hold my beer. Let's get to it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just think this really, uh, this thing, this movie really has, I think, what attracted me to it. I mean, not so much the first movie. It has like a Escape from New York vibe to it, like where oh, you definitely. don't know what's, what's, what's lurking around the corner. And, uh, yeah, like every like what's really effective to me in these movies, all the small stuff that you see that that you have to see because it's it's a citywide thing, all the small stuff that you see is very effective and very memorable. How long how long is that scene where that woman is singing and like yeah. maybe it's it's what what's Maybe it, 10, 10 seconds. It's a few. It's yeah. It's only a few seconds, and it's not even the focal point of the scene. But it's but you remember it because it's so effective. You've exactly. got exactly like when those people are strapped to the hood of that Cadillac and they're begging oh, for man. their lives. And I was just like, why? You know, it's so simple, and it's just like I've seen worse. But why is that bothering me so? It much? just makes the city feel alive. It makes that night even more real because you're not just focused on what the characters are doing and what their situations call for them to do. It's, you know, you take a left or take a right and you're going to see a horrible act. I mean, even panning across the, uh, um, oh gosh, the um, Abraham Lincoln there, 
Yeah. And, uh, yes. You know, just little stuff like that was it just really artistically shot and it just really makes you like feel like, oh crap, I do not want to have the purge ever happen. And yeah. what if it does happen and you know. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm watching it with my girlfriend and she has this amazing ability to see even if it's like a background actor in a scene to see that actor and know what other film that person was in even if that other film was just them in the background i've seen her watch like a freaking disney tv show and like some kid in the background in the scene she's like oh that's so and so and then we stop we look it up on indb and sure enough it was some actor for some uh, from some other thing. It's just an amazing ability to do this. But it wasn't until we watched this movie that I realized this goes beyond just finding actors in scenes. She found a candy bar that has appeared in other things as well. The, the candy bar that the girl was trying to steal is the Apollo bar, which apparently was a candy bar that was highlighted on the TV show Lost that has become wow. this thing this hidden thing in several other things as a reference to Lost. Um, it sh- has wow. the, the candy bar has shown up on Once Upon a Time, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, some show called Dead of Summer, Squeegees, Scrubs, Insatiable, and it was even featured in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. This like Jesus. fictional candy bar... <laughs> has appeared mm-hmm. in these things all as a reference to Lost. And where why it shows up in these individual things, I don't know. But I will say the, the writers of Lost also were the writers on Once Upon a Time. So that is probably a connection. But a connection to this movie, maybe because of the woman that plays Senator, uh, Senator Ronan, because that's uh, Elizabeth Mitchell, who also was on Lost and Once Upon a Time. So ah. I don't know if that's the connection of why the Apollo bar makes appearance in this movie, but holy cow, you know, she saw that and she's like, that's the candy bar from lost. And then we had to stop and went down this deep rabbit hole. <laughs> and there's like a website that talks about the Apollo bar and all of its appearances. So, that's deep. Yeah. Very, very similar to, uh, Morley cigarettes from the X files and Morley, Morley cigarettes, also turn up in other movies, which I cannot name right at this moment. But oh, nice. uh, now I got to look that up. It's uh, it's they're they're made to look like you know like the Marlboro, you know, red packs, but they actually say Morley on them. Nice. Okay, I'm gonna check that out too. And then one other thing I'll say about the the experience of watching it with my girlfriend, um, it's that scene in the third act where they're in the church and they're having the shootout and they're hiding behind the. Uh, you know, the church benches, and I start going, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Come yeah, on, that's funny. We get it. Yeah, we got pew. it. Boom, chain. Then what happens? Randy Dad thought joke. it was hilarious. Roll snare drum. Jesus. <laughs> I, th- this series will always hold a very, very um, important or, like, memorable part of my horror history just because um like three of the years i've been to halloween horror nights they did two of the years they did purge scare zones and one year they did a purge house and the uh scare zones were just my favorite thing they've ever done uh because it lends itself so well because yeah i think i've explained it several times but basically how they set it up at universal 
is the houses are all in tents or buildings behind the rides, but you have to walk around the park to get to them. So while you're walking around through the park, different areas of the parks are set up into what they call scare zones, which is like an outdoor haunted house that's interactive with actors and huge props and scene setups. And there's nothing like in New York. They've done the purge several times because they have a part of the park that sort of looks like uh, New York. And they always set up uh, the purge there, and it's just absolutely perfect. They had the you know the truck pull up, and they'd have actors that were planted out in the streets that looked like people that were just at the park, and they'd grab them and throw them in the back and murder them on the streets. And they had guys in masks on motorcycles, and they had big street signs that said you know the purge, and they would do the sirens, and they had screens all over that would you know turn up you know now commencing the purge, and they had the big show, and it was just absolutely. I mean, there's no better movie that could fit that scares like a scare zone in general it just lend itself so well to that event that i they could do it every single year and just mix it up a little bit and i would be happy with it yeah absolutely that's just the brilliance of this concept this whole concept is there's just so much potential and possibilities of doing different things and and you know Keeping it fresh. I'm so excited to hear they're doing another movie. When they started doing the TV series, which I still haven't watched at all yet, I was kind of worried, oh, that's the end of the film franchise. But good to know there's one more. This movie least. did pretty well, too. It had a $10 million budget. And mm. its cumulative worldwide was 118 and a half. Sweet. That did wow. good. I think, I, think, my, I think my favorite part of this movie, or all these movies, is the sound of that alarm when the purge starts. That's terrifying. Oh my gosh. That's yeah, not and the I, ringtone I want. And that's just what I love at Horror Nights. Like they, they like I said, it, it starts going off and all the TVs have that sort of Ugh. PSA uh-huh. in the, the scrolling screen. <laughs> and that, then you start hearing the chainsaws and the uh, motorcycle. Oh, and, and, like, you hear dirt bikes. and Run! Then, <laughs> yeah, and and you hear sure. screams in the distance, and they have a bunch of people that are plants in the audience that you know you're oh. not sure who's in on it and who's not, and it's just oh, really cool. Awesome. My wife would not go for this. <laughs> she would shit. Perfect. <laughs> but I do wear my uh, I purged pin very proudly on one of my jackets. It's, it's, <laughs> instead of I voted, it says I purged. So. <laughs> I have the uh, hat that they gave away for the last movie. It's the red, like, Make America Great hat, but it says The First Purge. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Apparently the new Purge comes out on July 10th, so we'll see if that date stays true. July, yeah. Independence Day. It's like the new Saw, just every year, pump one out <laughs> in July. Yeah, that's the thing, so because, like, in the, like... Saw kind of goes off the rails and gets a little stale, and like it kind of loses its original. But that's the thing. I, I feel like you could, you really have to try hard to fuck this franchise up. Well, they they were pushing it with the first purge. I didn't. I liked it. the first purge. Yeah, I, that was my. That's my least favorite of all of them. Yeah, I agree. But then this one's technically the it. last one, probably right. What's Since that? Kind of ends. So what? this one's the. Kind of the last one in the timeline. Cron- yeah. 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 I guess it's Rhoda ends. ends the purge. Or does she? We don't know. Well, I mean, everybody starts She's getting violent because, gonna... oh, we can't have our way. So they just rebel anyway. So, yep. Good. Very cool. That's a good one. 
All right, Andrew, what's what's the next movie we're talking about? Well, I'm going to um, <laughs> steal a little bit from Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny, and I'll just say it like this. The podcasters asked me not to read this, but <laughs> God damn it, I'm going to read it anyway, because it's the truth. <laughs> I fucking love this movie. This movie is the best horror sci-fi film to come out of the 1980s. Period. And that movie (laughs) is They Live. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them, they're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business, ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on the TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. Basically, They Live is the story of uh, John Nada, and he is basically an out-of-work everyman played by Roddy Piper, and he, um, from the looks of it, looks like he uh, rode the rails from Denver to Los Angeles looking for work. And eventually he goes, I believe he steps into the, the job corps, and they don't have any work, work for him, and he eventually finds work at a construction site, and eventually uh, he crosses the way of this street preacher, you know, and he's mumbling, you know, all this stuff. He's kind of halfway paying attention, and this the street preacher, uh, he's, you know, basically giving out warnings, you know, to the people. And he makes friends with Frank, played by uh, a really another great carpenter actor by the name uh, uh, he, uh, Keith David. And during, you know, they go to this homeless camp where you know people can get fed and uh, get shelter, and you know basically try to get you know up on their feet. And Peter Jason is, uh, I believe, his name is Gilbert in this. 
and uh, Frank starts, I mean, excuse me, uh, Roddy Piper's character, John Nada, be- starts to become uh, a little suspicious of him because he keeps going over across the way to this church. And he he's wondering what's going on. Eventually, he makes his, makes his way over there. And Frank's just like telling him, like, look, look, we got a good thing going here. You know, I don't want, want you to screw it up. But curiosity gets the best of John, and he goes over there, and he starts seeing, like, these con- these lenses being made for these sunglasses. And, like, there's weird choir music coming over there, but there's only there's not even really, you know, people over there. And eventually uh, he stumbles he stumbles into this this wall and he comes out with these sunglasses just like okay man what these get these people are weird what what the hell is going on here um eventually the uh the camp gets raided by these police officers and you know the bulldozer rolls by i mean everybody everybody scatters so john's got nowhere else to go but he still has these sunglasses so eventually he he puts them on and the world as he knows it completely morphs around him and this is where the film goes from black and white to color every time he he puts every time you see his point of view through these sunglasses and all this he starts at first all he sees is this this world just full of propaganda where there's like an advertisement for like say suntan lotion it'll 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 just say obey and everything on it is like a subliminal message you know if he's looking at newsweek it'll say no independent thought and if he's looking at a sign for a shoe store it'll say marry and reproduce and this is you know like the cash in a guy's hand is this is your god and Eventually, he looks at another guy at this newsstand, and it's got that classic part where he takes the glasses off and puts the back glasses on, and the guy says, what's your problem? And basically, it's an alien with this bluish tint and these really sparkly eyes, and he's just like, what the hell is going on? And eventually... uh he he goes into a supermarket and he starts you know calling these people out like you know you look like shit lady um you know from he called, I believe he calls her formaldehyde face and um she starts talking on this uh basically like a two-way radio into the wristwatch she says i've got one that can see and as he stumbles as he stumbles out of there you know he st- he keeps talking to these people he says like you know this woman's styling her hair, and she's an alien, too. Of course, nobody else can see it but him. And he's just like, that's like putting perfume on a pig. I mean, he's, he's got great one-liners in this movie. And eventually he comes across these cops, who are also aliens, which, in turn, he decides to fight, and he shoots some more, and he, and he, kills, he kills the cops, essentially. So basically, uh, he, he goes out on the run, and he goes into this bank, and I know I'm telling the whole story of the movie here. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that it's that it's that damn good. So basically, 
as I sh- as I try to shorten this up, <laughs> he stumbles onto a worldwide alien <sighs> conspiracy where basically these things are running the earth. And they are influencing our decisions, they are influencing our politics, they are influencing damn near everything. And he and these other people are the only ones that know what the hell is going on. But he also has to convince Frank. And Frank doesn't want to believe him because he knows like, that he's basically, Frank thinks he's killed at least six or seven people. And in order to convince Frank, they basically damn near have like an eight-minute street fight in the mi- out in the middle of this alley, and it's the best movie fight that has ever been filmed because it <laughs> looks more real. Screw that kung fu shit. I don't care how pretty it is. Um, <laughs> basically, you know, he's telling them to put these glasses on, and he says another great one-liner when he eventually gets Frank to put these glasses on. And he says, life's a bitch, and she's back in heat. Which Rowdy Piper, during the commentary, <laughs> says, that, is macho man, that was Macho Man Randy Savage's favorite line. And he said it multiple times in many conversations. Anyway, I will shut up because... Yeah, right. I, <laughs> no, I, I, no, I won't. I will probably interject and tell you how cool this is all the time. But uh, I... I I freaking love this movie. Initially, um, this movie was not assigned to me, and I raised a stink <laughs> about it. <laughs> I, thought, I, 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 I thought it would... Stand, I wasn't going to stand for that shit, so... Um, uh, <laughs> anyway. I was worried you and Tad would fight over it, so I just gave it to Jason. No, I... You know, I sort... Obviously, I'm a huge fan, too, but um, I feel like Andy <laughs> deserves this one. He's... Because he's... You know more of the uh, Rod- he's Roddy Piper pro wrestling. I mean, this has everything. That's John Carpenter mixed with a pro wrestler. This is Andy's territory right here. So I don't want to step on any toes. Ah, thank you. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say I was introduced to this movie on AMC Monster Fest. I think in middle school. I don't know. Oh. It, it might have been like Fear Fest or Monster Fest or something. But they played it as part of that, and I thought, you know, oh, John Carpenter, like, this is one I hadn't seen, surprisingly, and checked it out. And I remember thinking, well, this really doesn't really fit the October horror type thing. It has some horrific moments, but, like, this has a lot to say for a John Carpenter movie, you know? And then dug deeper into his filmography and found that, you know, this isn't the first or last time he sort of had something to say with a movie, but... um, once again, really damn relevant to today, you know, and yeah, I man. think it will, it will always be relevant. And when they talk to Carpenter, he always sort of downplays it as if it's not. And it's like, you couldn't be more obvious that this is, you know, political, but. Yeah, even some of those aliens have the same hairstyle as our current <laughs> yeah. president. Yeah. It's, it was his. Um, take on Reaganomics and the yuppies and just unrestrained capitalism. And uh, you could you could almost look at it the way now. I mean it's not really it's almost not even really left or left or right. It's 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 up or down. I mean to me the to me the aliens are basically uh, they're kind of, you know, lobbyists. 
in today's in today's age because they're influencing everything because with their influx of money i mean it just it influences decisions politically and they don't give a shit if it's right or wrong they just want it their way and yeah uh just i i could go on and on and just even even more so about that that fist fight it's just like if you if you watch it these guys really truly like each other but they are so fucking stubborn yeah. on on both ways it's just like a, a prime example is when um rowdy's got that two by four and he's wanting to hit him and he does take a swing at him but he knocks out the back window of frank's car and he's just like oh shit dude i'm sorry i start laughing yeah yeah and you know it's just like you know they they are very two hard-headed american males that want to win and they want to be right and it's just like but they don't want to hurt he really truly hurt he hurt the hurt the guy it's just like it's the the whole dynamic of that fight yeah that's what makes the fight special to me is not it's not a fight between enemies yeah you know that's normal this is different this is just a fight between friends stubborn i mean not that you see suplexes in the wild but this is <laughs> you know uh it's that's what makes it interesting I mean that that's how Jason and I said a lot of things. Yep. Via suplex. And elbow drops. Yeah, I watched it with the commentary too this time. I've I've listened to the commentary before. Uh and it's just glorious cuz those oh, yeah. two guys, you know, it's, it's just like him and Kurt Russell. It's just like two old friends and they just have a damn blast watching the movie and it's so funny roddy keeps going well up here watch this watch this and he goes i, I keep i keep saying that as if you didn't make this damn movie john <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I wish roddy piper would have done more movies yeah because it's um, really he, fun to watch him not be canadian that's the fun part <laughs> watch him slip in and out of canadia the 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 thing is, I mean, he did do a lot of movies, and he mentions this in the commentary. He just goes, you know, I, you know, something along the lines is like, I've done twenty some movies. You know, it's just like, well, you know, you've done, you know, I've done twenty seven movies, and I was just, and John says, he just goes, you've done more than me, and John says, I've done only done twenty movies, and and but yeah, Rowdy says, he goes, yeah, but you did twenty good ones, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, just. And and the thing is, it's just like he was, you know. A lot of people were probably thinking, "Oh, you're 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 taking a chance just casting a, a wrestler." I mean, he's not he's not an actor. But the thing is, the way that Rowdy was cast for this role, I mean, Rowdy himself was <coughs> li- lived on the streets. You know, Rowdy. You, you know, Rowdy really truly is this guy. I mean, he didn't. You know, he he didn't have to act. I mean, he didn't. You know, I mean, he didn't. I mean, he obviously wasn't being the hot rod while he while he was doing this. But I mean, <laughs> but he didn't really have to dig too deep to get into this character. Um, I just, I mean. Basically, I mean, I've I've got my my DVD right here in front of me, and the day that me and my wife decided to start dating, and I regret it to this day that I was not that I was not there. 
Rowdy signed my They Live DVD for me because Daniel got it for me. He wrote Rowdy Rowdy Piper, no bubblegum. And I, of course, went and got <laughs> Megs and, and Keith Davids. And this is like, I, and I know it's just a DVD insert, but I mean, it's, it's probably, you know, it's how, if house, house fire shit happens, I will be grabbing my They Live DVD. Nice. Um, uh, and, you know, of course, my experience with Meg Foster, you know, uh, her giving me, you know, two of those publicity stills out of the kindness of her heart, you know. Um, yeah, so I am, you know, I'm very, very, uh, you know, deeply attached to this movie. I saw it, I believe I saw it when I was 10 on HBO. So, I mean, it would have been two years after it come out. But I was just, I was instantly, instantly hooked. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I made Keith David laugh when he, when I, when he signed my DVD. Because I said, uh, I believe uh, watching you and Ken Faree sing Monster Mash was probably one of the most heartwarming <laughs> things I've seen all year. Um, it's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> Oh, and come on, and I, I cannot forget to mention freaking Buckflower. Oh, uh, my. Was yeah, Mike was going to, if you didn't, yeah. <laughs> and just that asshole scratching his nuts again. Um, <laughs> a good roll. He's got Buckflower down, too, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Buck's, Buck's not easy to, to do. Um, you know, uh, I mean, Buck is pretty easy to do for me for some odd reason. Uh but yeah uh oh and uh the uh i believe it's the ekg meter from ghostbusters is in this did anybody anybody notice that yes oh i didn't yes some of the alien guards when they get to the uh the underground (laughs) bunker or whatever uh they've got like i don't know what they were really using it for but uh, they do have like Egon's like little ghost finder thingy. Uh. Huh, that's cool. I've, I've always thought Roddy's casting in this was smart because he, while he is a big guy, he's a believable, like if you're going to cast a pro wrestler, he's believable. And like you said, he sort of lived that life. But like he's he's not... The Rock, like when I see The Rock in movies, it's like he is—he is superhuman. Where Roddy yeah. is very, very human. I mean, he's—he's—he's mm-hmm. he's, he's a strong guy, obviously, but his muscles are not like—he doesn't have a six-pack. He has, you know, uh, broad shoulders and some big arms, but he's—he looks more like a guy who always has to do physical work, but not necessarily somebody who goes to the gym. Yeah, he's a that laborer, sense? you know. Right. He's a guy yeah. swinging a pickaxe for twelve hours and then goes has has a beer with his friends. That's exactly the vibe, the vibe I get from him. Yeah, like we all know, you know, a guy like this. I mean, you yeah, know, like, Andy Wasson, a guy just yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. Like, you know, you're that guy. Like, I mean, obviously, you, you go to the gym, but it's like, you know, you're not a like a meathead dummy that is you know out there um, doing bodybuilding competition, but you're clearly have uh the body of a god so uh, yeah put the glasses on <laughs> funny enough i bought I, I have a couple pairs of those glasses the the same uh make and model or whatever I, I need to get a pair definitely and i i brought both of them 
two pairs of me. Um, I was actually with Blake, and we went to Chicago for Wizard World, and I met John Carpenter, and I brought him with me. Oh. And the photographer wouldn't let me uh, get a picture. I, I was gonna, I was gonna tell John like, put the damn glasses on and give them to him and get a picture. And the photographer oh. was like, we'll get a glare off the glasses if you Fuck put those on. You. Oh, yeah. So I, I still wore my Obey shirt and I had like the sunglasses <clears throat> like hanging from my pocket, but um, he wouldn't let me even like attempt to ask John. So, damn, I stupid. I, I gotta say that uh, if. This should be required. This is, to me, this is, okay, it may not be horror 101, but it's definitely uh, horror sci-fi 101 to me. This is, this should be, like, the first thing. If you're going to gradually, like, introduce somebody to, like, horror sci-fi, this should, this should be, like, the introductory class. This should be... Uh, number one that they should see, you know, and then maybe work their way up to like Event Horizon or something. I don't know. <laughs> I... One of the things I like about this movie is that it's an alien invasion movie where the movie starts off where the aliens have already won. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the this is the after story. Or maybe uh, that like humans are. It's almost a human invasion movie. Like they're the ones that are leading us, and you know. Oh trying to turn us into the aliens. I don't know. I I was going to be like, I don't, I don't mean to rock the boat here. Oh, here we go. But is this score really that good? With the harmonica? No, I was just like, isn't it the most repetitive? Yeah, for 90 minutes. Like, is it? I mean, it's... Is anybody... Um, uh, it's not <laughs> my favorite, but... Just, uh, no. The Halloween theme repeats itself in the there's, whole movie. There's five more notes that's, in that one. That's uh, a fair uh, assessment. Uh, I'm just... Well, it, it makes me... It, How many times like you see it live? Theme. Yeah. I'm just... I mean, I... It's... I poke in the bear. That's all, mostly. <laughs> no, they, they, I agree. In the movie, it's repetitive, and they should like in uh, when we saw him live with his band. They do like a longer extended version that has different breakdowns and like uh, some bridges and stuff to it. And it's like, well, why didn't they use a little yeah. bit of this in the movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not a big fan of even the extended one. Like, I just. The harmonicas, I get it's sort of yeah. like the working man type thing, and Roddy plays mm-hmm. harmonica in the movie, but it just, yeah, it's not, it's not my favorite score. But I mean, it's it's something different for Carpenter, which is nice. Like I think sure. this one and um, Big Trouble scores are like the two that are different. Like out of his, um, I would say out of his whole like filmography that he did the scores for, stand out as the two that are not like any of his others. The others are all sort of electronic synth and. Uh, you know, or piano and and pretty simple, but uh, these these are different. Which I proudly both own original vinyl pressings of. Nice. nice. I think it was weird. I hadn't seen this movie for God. I got the the Shout Factory edition of it like a year or so ago, or whatever it came out, and I just hadn't revisited it for a long time. And um, I could, for some reason, I either 
jumped into the movie halfway through, but I don't remember the um, the bum being there in the movie. And then I watched the end, and he's there with the tuxedo. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like, I don't know what it is with me, but I've watched that movie several times, and I clearly did not pay attention, or I just like jumped in when it was on, or I just I don't know what happened, but I'm like. Why does this guy know them? Or is he just like somebody else? Like I got always confused and I was telling Tad that in the scene where he goes and jumps in the garbage truck and he's getting his pair of glasses out of there. And I don't know if it was just a weird edit because I was actually watching the movie this time, but they have their big brawl and they're both walking out of the, um, um, the alleyway and they both have shades on. And I'm like, did he grab, like, did he go back into the trash to get more shades? Because I know there was a box of them, but when he was trying to get those out of that box, there was only one. And so when I was watching it, I'm like, where'd the other pair of sunglasses come from? Or was it just a weird edit? Andy? I think I saw there was a couple <laughs> of, like, when he when he got the box and then he pulled a, he, he pulled a pair out and there was, like, a few more, like, still rattling around inside. I mean, okay. you, you really, you kind of have to have an eagle eye about it, but, um, uh, and then he just goes, oh no. And then he kind of, he kind of still had, you know, the box with him and he was just trying to put on, having him put on that, that certain pair. Okay. Um, another thing that I have not noticed that I actually stumbled onto on the IMDB was this, uh, boxer, Tommy Morrison, who died a few years back is actually part of the resistance. I have not been able to spot him in there, and he's uncredited in the film, but uh, he actually was in this before he went off uh, and made uh, Rocky Five or whatever. Um, but yes, Tommy Morrison is actually in They Live. So hmm. Maybe you might be able to spot him. Tommy Gunn? Yeah. He died of what, AIDS? Uh, AIDS related. I think it was, uh, pneumonia. I mean, he just kept, um, floating from hospital to hospital. He actually died in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, but, uh, I think there was like when he had surgery or something, he had surgery for some odd case, odd case that, that he had, but they, I think there was like some gauze that was actually sewn into him. Uh, and he was still, uh, I mean, uh, there's an, there's an ESPN 30 for 30 on, uh, oh yeah, Tommy Morrison. Uh, check it out. It's actually it's actually really really good. I mean, this guy is like the epitome of one step forward, three steps back. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean he 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 was actually pretty awesome. If he could just get his head out of his ass, and I used to uh, spar with a guy coincidentally who used to live with Tommy Morrison and. Uh, yeah, I I will tell you guys a Tommy Morrison story because it just doesn't relate to horror. But uh, yeah, anyway, neat, neat little fun fact: Tommy Morrison is actually in They Live. Sweet, but I didn't really say I do. I love this movie a lot. It's really great. I've I got to see it really early in my life, and I don't remember when or how, but I know it's been one of the earlier movies I've seen, and I've always loved it. Always. It's just great, great concept. Where does this fall in? Like, I know Carpenter sort of built up. He got his big break, like big studio break for the thing, you know, like his first huge budget studio film. 
that flopped, so he went back and got this like three picture deal to make these low budget ones. But I'm trying to remember where this falls in that. This uh, falls after Prince of Darkness because I think I believe it went uh, Big Trouble, Prince of Darkness, They Live, and then I think maybe after that it might be uh, where was memoirs? Christine? Eighty three. Okay, yeah, Christine was um, earlier. Yeah, yeah, and I think memoirs of an invisible man <laughs> came after they live because I don't think anything happened in 89. And I think, uh, e- memoirs of an invisible man was either, uh, 90 or 91. Yeah, I was, I, uh, yeah, it was definitely after cause I was out of high school when, uh, and memoirs came out, which I haven't seen that in ages. I'd, I'd probably like to watch that again. Me neither. I should probably give it another chance, but like I only saw it the one time in the theater, and I it, I thought it was awful. But but it's still but John it's, Carpenter, so yeah. I'd say it's crazy to think about like if the thing would have been a success, we probably wouldn't have They Live, you know, because he wouldn't have been doing this little budget movie with a pro wrestler and. It's like a happy accident, you know. It's like, well, I'm glad that we have these movies, but what would have been if that if the thing was as big of a hit as they wanted it to be, and it would have been a huge success, and he would have kept doing big, you know, studio pictures. And there's a, fu- a fun little tie back to uh, the Dead Zone that Deborah Hill produced it. Yeah, I, I noticed that in the. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, I couldn't remember what was why wasn't the the thing successful in its heyday, or was it just bad because timing? ET. Uh, yeah, I think it was out. definitely bad timing. Yeah. Yeah, ET yeah. came out like right around the same time, and so it was like no one wanted to go see a mean spirited alien movie when they had the one that was selling out every theater everywhere for an entire year. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah. Well, they already had the mean-spirited alien movie called, well, Alien, because right. you got 79, and then what? what's E.T.? Is that 80 or 81? Well, it was the same year, so Thing was 82. So 81, maybe, for E.T.? No, it came out the same summer. It was the same summer, yeah. Like two oh. weeks before, yeah. I think. Okay. And I also think, too, that the the main audience that the Thing was for was also like butt hurt because he was doing a remake of a of a classic sci-fi mm. film. So at the time the Sounds movie was familiar. the movie was for <laughs> nobody. So the normies didn't want to go see it cuz they'd rather see happy little ET and the sci-fi fans didn't want to go see it cuz it was blasphemy that he did a remake. It's not a remake of the movie. It's just another interpretation of the original short story. The original movie is called Thing from Another World, so it's two different movies. Yeah, people are dumb. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't know. Not I you people listening. The short story that they live is based on, but it's also based on a short story, correct? Eight oh. o'clock in the morning by Ray Nelson. Which, like five, like the last five years, they be, they keep saying that there's going to be a new adaptation of that, and it hasn't come to be. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was uh, based on a short story. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and just like, you know, I actually have uh, a, a book called Real Future. And it's basically um, a collection of short stories that were made into films. You know, it's got The Lawnmower Man. It's got uh, 
uh, I believe it's actually called Death Race 2000. I have the, it's got the original uh, story for Death Race 2000, and it's got uh, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, which became Total Recall, and it's got 8 o'clock in the morning as well. Yep, cool. Well... Watch this movie. <laughs> Watch the movie now. Does anybody case. know where they came up with, like, who and how they came up with the design for these aliens? That's um, a good question because it's unique, isn't it? Yeah, I was I was reading something that Carpenter said. He just goes, I he didn't want it to come across as like some really trippy sci-fi thing he didn't want it to be like goofy and all roswell looking he said he like they said he wanted to since they're the theme of the movie is that they're corrupting society in general they just wanted to be they made him he wanted them to look like the aliens to look somewhat like corpses like they were kind of like almost rotting away you know because they were so corrupted and you know and, and yeah. wild. so i mean he he kind of i mean the the look he wanted them to look like that a certain way but like as the as far as the overall aesthetic i i don't know much much about that you know but he just wanted them to look like corpse corpse looking but like, like living sorry the, he, i i know in the commentary they said like that one guy played all the aliens right like most of them <laughs> yeah even the and women even the females yeah and uh, <laughs> there's some really cool uh pictures i've seen you know the behind the scenes pictures of them like applying the makeup and uh the like filming of this and it's funny because like when i try to think of the um sort of timeline of carpenter's movies i in my mind i don't even think of years i just think of the behind the scenes pictures and where what he looked like because at this stage he had like the ponytail like the white hair with the ponytail he started <laughs> turning gray because he he aged really quick and uh, it's like okay, and I know like on the fog and cart and uh, Halloween up until like a certain point, he still had like the brown like seventies hair with the mustache. Uh, so you know, you just you even, I just you just got to think of like which Carpenter directed this movie, like what he looked like when he directed it, and that's how I know when it was made. It's funny you say that. You, it's funny you say that because I mean, if you look like the the production stills of uh, Big Trouble. And in between, they live. Yeah, they are almost night and day. Now that you think about it, because like yeah. he still he still had a pretty thick head of you know uh, you know that brown, brown that brown hair, and like in they live, he's white as a damn ghost. Yeah, because you, so. you see that you that classic picture of him like staying with his arms crossed with Kurt Russell in front of the set on uh, Big Trouble. That's like yeah, a they got like one. swords or axes or something. Yeah. Right? But then you think of the one he's sitting in the director's chair for They Live, and is he has the big, huge shades on and like a puffy vest, and uh, he has the white ponytail, and he has like a white ball cap on sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can tell that we're fans, like by we're talking. About, like I, I know <laughs> yeah. we know which pictures we're all talking about. I, I'm I actually have the uh, that Carpenter like behind the scenes uh, ta like coffee table book right next to me, so I could crack it open and look, but. Uh, I won't bore you guys by describing pictures that I'm looking at. <laughs> but I think like Riveted. the billboards and stuff were all like miniatures, right? Like when they were um, the 
the black and white versions, the Obey and all that. Those were all, I think, miniatures. Uh, so Seemed obviously like they it, didn't. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's it's really cool to think like this movie influenced Shepard Fairey to create the Obey line, which he used the uh, you know Andre the Giant has a posse sticker, yeah. which evolved into a huge like political movement. Now he's like one of the most successful, biggest artists of our, especially of our generation. But um, you know, right now, as far as popular like pop culture, he's you know huge. He created, he did all the stuff for obama's campaign and it started because he saw this movie and and thought it was fun and he made some sort of fake political stickers and (laughs) here he is now you know however many years later and it it's crazy and i believe that the name of that book is called on the set with john carpenter correct yeah yeah because i got it in my hands right now pretty good uh yeah it's really it's really cool yeah the pictures are gorgeous yeah, I did get the. Uh, there's a new one, or not new, but newish. Like within maybe three or four years, there was one that's like the art of um, Big Trouble in Little China, and then the making of Big Trouble in Little China. There's two yeah, books. They're so expensive, dude. I know they weren't. I should have pre-ordered them because they weren't bad when they came out, and now they're yeah. out of print. So yeah, and they they're ridiculously high, but I still stupidly want one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, some some of these. Some of these uh, photos, some of the behind the scenes, particularly ones with uh, Halloween and like John Carpenter playing guitar with like Nick Castle. I mean, it's just yeah, these are it's it's great stuff. Um, and Deborah Deborah Hill was like you know a good looking bird back in the day. I think. Well, dude, in this movie, Meg Foster, her eyes, holy shit! You see her like in Rob Zombie stuff now. She looks oh like gosh. a leather purse, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like God bless her for not getting all that surgery and and changing who she is. Just yeah. she age, just age gracefully. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you will, you can, you will never find a a, a sweeter person. I know I'm biased, but <laughs> uh, but a lot of people have said the same thing. She is the nicest, nicest person. Probably the best autograph experience that, and mo- best celebrity experience I've ever had. Just meeting meeting him as a at her as a person, yeah. And I can't really say I've ever really had a bad one. Um, just some are better than others. Well, uh, I'm sorry if I if I called her an old leather purse, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, 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 the thing is, is like now I have after after like you know getting to know her as a person. And like the Lords of Salem was like really growing on me. Now I can't. Now there's like certain scenes with her in it where she's like walking down the hallway naked. I was like, I can't watch this. This is just disturbing, you know. And I'm supposed to be, but I mean, it's just like Meg, put some clothes on. It's my friend Meg. I know. It's just like you're. You're like. (laughs) I look at her as like this sweet old lady who's like lives down the street at me from me, and and I'd like totally mow her lawn or like you know rake her leaves or something. That sounds dirty. I know when he said it, it did sound a little. (laughs) I mow her lawn. (laughs) And I. Yeah, yeah, just completely corrupt what I say. You guys are dicks. Yep. (laughs) Anyway, watch watch this movie because it's awesome. And Meg Meg Meg's eyes in this are. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. mesmerizing, and that's that's what she's always been known for. Um, yeah, uh, Holly Thompson. 
is her name in this film. Oh. Yep. <laughs> and she works at KRDA. You watched this too many times, Andy. Well, did she basically like was she like kind of a uh infiltrated like their whole gang to like keep everybody on like up to date on what they were trying to do to dismantle the government? Is that what her kind of role was because she didn't really seem like I, I kind of felt like we could have used a little bit more background on her. I just said I just looked at her as like a double agent, you know. Yeah, uh, sort of um, like Ellie in Halloween Three. Oh, you know, that she, yeah, she turned up to yeah. be an alien or a, a robot. A robot. But <laughs> they sort of <laughs> use the same type of uh, you know same type of thing where you don't you, you don't suspect that they're the bad guy and. Like um, Elizabeth Hurley in Austin Powers. Yeah. She was a, she was a fembot <laughs> all along. <laughs> Perfect comparison. Exactly, right? <laughs> Any chance to bring Austin Powers in, go for it. <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. Nerd. So, so, do you, so do you guys have any uh, honorable <laughs> mentions when you think about political horror? Any other ones come to mind? Like everything Cronenberg's ever done. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had I one earlier. Think of stuff. Yeah. Uh, obviously, all the other Purge movies are all fantastic. Uh, you know, man, I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank here. That's all right. We can leave some for the the shout out folks, but and obviously, you know, you you think of uh, oh the crazies. Yeah, anything George Romero, too, you know, has a political mm, Society, it. oh my goodness. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Land of the Dead's definitely got some... Yep. Big time. Could have a whole other uh, political uh, horror around on podcast. <laughs> one one could say... Um, it's it's sli- There is a political statement in it, but, I mean, it's not, you know... In your face, political. Uh, the people underneath the stairs. Actually, oh yeah, that's that's one of the top ten. They even list yeah. Candyman as one of these. I don't oh, know about Candyman. oh yeah, definitely class yeah. thing going on there. Well, yeah, yeah. Videodrome. <laughs> right, another Cronenberg, and then uh, Rosemary's yep. Baby. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, all right. Let's take a quick little break. We'll hear. A- sweet little jingle about our podcast network and then we'll be right back you're listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. And we're back. Why don't we uh, head on over to Jason? Hey, that's me. <laughs> shout outs. <laughs> He'll do some shout outs. It's time for shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. 
So we asked, you know, just what your favorite political-based horror films are, and we got some people who answered because they're awesome. And up first in our podcast group edition on Facebook, uh, we got Mark Dixon. He says, no brainer, they live. That's right. Attaboy. That's a good one. Then we got Trevor McElhenney. Come on, guys, how do I say it? Just Trevor, we know Trevor. I know we know Trevor, I just I feel bad every time. Trevor, he says the dead zone. Good answer. Good choice. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Then over on our Facebook page, we got Nick Leadham says Videodrome. We got Chucky Barsick says they live with a little skull emoji with sunglasses. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then uh, we got our pal Tim Lennerer from the Fiasco Brothers. Uh, He says. Oh, he's got a little bit here. Let me. <clears throat> Horror is an inherently political genre, especially in film. If you're trying to resonate with a mass audience, you've got to reflect what is making them nervous, or your movie won't connect. See David J. Skull's excellent The Monster Show for a book-length treatment of this idea. Having said that, the social breakdown at the start of Dawn of the Dead is the best example of George Romero's lefty politics paired with horrifying images you could with horrifying images you could ever hope for, and it feels more realistic every passing year. Police gunning down black apartment dwellers, television stations more concerned with viewership numbers than whether or not people are going to die, following the instructions on the screen. The security guy at the TV station still checking employee IDs during the apocalypse. It's all a, it's all a look at how badly Americans are going to handle a huge crisis, and it's all horrifyingly convincing. Oh, and don't forget that George Romero's Land of the Dead came out four months before Hurricane Katrina made landfall and the rich fleeing while the poor face the brunt of a massive cataclysm is in the third act. Yeah, George Romero. Yeah, burn up, Tim. Take it. And I have actually read that Monster Show book, although it's been eh, about a decade, so I can't retain information that well. I hear you. Uh, Then we got uh, Reggie Camouflage, because that's how I'm going to say it, because I can't say it any other way. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. He says, Camouflage? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, he says the Omen one, two, and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we got our attacker Brian J. Godsell says, "What about the stuff? One of my favorites." Oh yeah, a lot of good commentary mm. in that one. Uh huh. And then lastly, we got I think might be a first time commenter Melissa Merlot says, or if she's French, Merlot. Just explaining that to you, oh, Mike. My. Uh huh. She says the oui, de- oui. the dead zone. I just went. <laughs> uh, we didn't have anything over on Twitter. We didn't have anything on uh, Instagram. But that does remind me, we did have something on Patreon. Um, wait for it. Wait for it. It was also Brian. I remember that. Um, he said, "Oh yeah, you have to go with they live." You have to. You have to. He's not wrong. Fucking ain't right. (laughs) 
You knew Andy would agree with that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, you got all those places you can leave a comment. We always post a little shout-out picture. That means it's time for you to comment. So when you see it, comment. But you can also uh, give us a call on our voicemail. I know, pretty cool, right? And we have a, voice. a voicemail. That's right. I dare you to call it. Yeah, I we dare do. you. You can call and say anything. We're going to put it on the show. Anything. It's mainly to make sure I, it still works. I bet you I bet you won't do it, you chicken. <laughs> and to answer Mike's dare, you can go to 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Leave that voicemail and we will play it on the show. And that's shout outs. Ta-da. Hey. Shh. You smell that? It's at Saints Picks! Um, yep. What I'm doing for Insane's Picks this episode is from 1994, Skullhead Face. That's the real name of a movie? Yeah. Skullhead Face is a movie made by the band Gwar, the Scumdogs of the Universe. It was directed by um, Melanie uh, Mandel, I think. Uh, who was Gore's videographer at the time, and she later went on to um, direct Weird Al's Polka Face music video. Interesting. Uh, this was Gore's third uh, release on video after uh, Live from Antarctica and Phallus in Wonderland. Uh, Skullhead Face is a movie um, that coincides with the album This Toilet Earth, which I believe is their fourth album. Um, Skullhead Face, uh, formerly a beautiful queen of a peaceful vegetarian planet, was transformed into a foul creature during a raid on her planet by Cardinal Sin, Gwar's eternal foe. She travels to Earth, where she is instructed to acquire sufficient amounts, amounts of Jizz Goblin, a blue <laughs> bodily fluid that is responsible for the creativity and rebellion and decadence of all creatures. War, meanwhile, is hosting a telethon on their pirate television network, Slave Pit TV. The goal of the telethon is to offer enough human sacrifices to unite the world maggot, um, which lies dormant at the Earth's core, and they will ride it off the planet. They, ha- they are having an increasing amount of success, which draws the attention of Glomco, an arch-typical evil media conglomerate led by Boss Gloom, the CEO, played by Jello Biathra. Uh, and he summons the Gore's manager, Sleazy P. Martini, in hopes that he will sell out Gore, reduce them to commodities, and ultimately kill the band to prevent any interference. Gore enters and kills everybody except for Boss Gloom, who escapes to a secret laboratory where we found out find out that Boss Gloom is revealed to be the sinister Skullhead Face, and the movie gets weirder from there. Oh. Um, this movie was originally gonna be in theaters, uh, but that didn't happen. Um, the MPAA refused to rate it anything other than an NC-17. 
Uh, and there was no way they were ever going to get an R, no matter what they cut. So, in typical gore fashion, it's over the top, highly offensive, yet totally hilarious and a hell of a lot of fun. I still personally prefer Live from Antarctica and Phallus in Wonderland. I feel like Live from Antarctica is, is straight up a, a concert video um, where Phallus in Wonderland was their first attempt at a, at a narrative film, and I feel like Phallus in Wonderland is, is a better told story. This one feels highly disjointed and doesn't really have much of a story. And a lot of the plot points that I described to you, after you watch it, you'll probably wonder where I got those plot points from, because it's not necessarily overly clear. <clears throat> um, uh, this, uh, some of my favorite moments in um, Skullhead Face is during the Gwar Telethon, where they would do, they would have fake commercials playing, such as for a new horror movie called Lawn Jockey. And the new um, fun, outdoor, fun activity for the whole family, Sperm and Slide. So, uh, it, it was put out on DVD a few years back, and I, I hadn't seen it in forever. Um, not since it probably first came out. And so, a couple months back, I popped it in. Still a lot of fun, especially if you're a fan of gore, and you like that... Uh, that style of humor of theirs that the over-the-top humor i feel like gore is the greatest example of really writing that line of like offensive funny but not going so far as to be you know overly offensive for offensive sake i mean obviously they know their audience so <coughs> bless you so, yeah excuse me so, it, um, I don't think it's ever been to Blu-ray, probably not, but uh, if you can find the DVD of it or the old VHS, I would highly recommend it. I don't, I doubt if it's streaming anywhere, but if you have any liking of gore or super crazy stage antics with outrageous costumes and blood and gore, um, definitely check out Skullhead Face. And that's it! Folks, that's this episode of a uh, of Attack of the Killer podcast. It's a good one. Yeah, I feel like I know Never. how to. I feel like I know how to vote now for this year's <laughs> election. Thanks, guys, for helping me out with my decision. Um, basically, I'm going to mar- vote for Martin Sheen. Good plan. Right in my vote. I'm voting for Camacho. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're not wrong there. I totally, we totally. It's what plants crave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that that we should that we should have done that on the show because it's kind of a horror movie in the fact of how true to life it is. Yeah. So, want to thank Blake for being on. Thanks, man, for joining us again. Sure, guys. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody out there for listening thanks again to the patreon supporters if it wasn't for you attackers the show wouldn't happen if you too want to become an attacker you can just go to patreon and um aotkp check out the tiers get a lot of cool stuff and be an attacker so until next time 
on Attack of the Killer podcast. I've, I've well, got nothing. I've we'll built write that an up. Actual outro. Almost. Almost there. Anyway, thanks. Bye. Oh no! Could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer. <laughs>